what what is actually what we're seeing is that we have never been so lonely. You know, mothers and fathers have never lived such lonely, isolated lives. Years ago, um, you know, we used to live on the doorsteps of our friends, our neighbours, our, you know, our uh, parents um, and, and our network to support us, whereas we just don't have that set up anymore. Today's podcast features two companies, both focusing on women's health and fitness. First, we're talking to Tinto, an organisation looking after the well-being of pregnant and postnatal women. And secondly, we're talking to Savage, an app and organisation that's based out of India, who are trying to find a health and wellness solution that's sustainable for women in the Indian market. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, brought to you by the Harvey Nash Group, where we talk to leaders from across our industry. Joining me for today's show, uh, we've got Amber, who's just back from Istanbul, um, which is an odd place to spend your Easter weekend, I suppose, because predominantly not Christian, so therefore probably not lots of Easter eggs, right? Or Easter at all? No, no Easter at all, to be honest. No, definitely no Easter eggs as well. Oh, did you you miss chocolate? Oh, Dave, I, I eat chocolate like every day. So, I mean, I wasn't sort of like desperate for an Easter egg, but actually on Easter Sunday... I did not have an Easter egg, no. Was there any reference to it at all anywhere? No, not really. I mean, Islamic <laughs> country, I would, I would assume not. But yeah. it's, one of those, it's one of those things where you're kind of like, I wonder whether if you were in Istanbul at Christmas, whether there'd be some reference to Christmas, because it's one of those things that kind of feels like it's more than religion now. It's a marketing <laughs> exercise to sell stuff. Yeah, I know what you mean. But it really didn't feel like Easter at all. No. No, it was very, very strange. But um, what, yeah, I think what, probably Christmas they would do more. Surely, yeah. You'd, you'd imagine. I mean, I've been in, I've been in uh, Islamic and Buddhist countries around Christmas, and they still have big Christmas trees and Santa and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, anyway, highlight of Istanbul. What, what would, what would be the thing that stands out as a reason for people to go? Oh, I say this for most cities, but the food. Like, I just, yeah. The food was like unbelievable. Like they just yeah. have so much like flavor and taste and way better than we get over here. But then also the touristy stuff at like the mosques and the blue mosque is where everyone goes and it's stunning. So yeah, if anyone's planning to go, like that is a good place to go and check out for sure. See, Amber goes on quite a lot of trips, people. So we should just kind of dedicate um, a section of this show to being like Amber's travel tips. I think that would be, might actually be a good, a good spin-off podcast in itself. Oh, well, there we go. There's an idea. Yeah, there um, we are. Yeah, I'll be still in your microphone, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, today's show is all about using data to understand uh, health and wellness, uh, specifically for women. So looking at sustainable solutions for women's health and wellness because of the insights that data can give us. The first part of the show, we are going to talk to Dr. Hannah Allen from Tinto. Second half of the show, uh, we go to Bangalore and to India to talk to uh, Etka, who um, has formed a company called Savage. Um, and that's not the reason that we've got them on this <laughs> podcast, I promise. Uh, but look, the, with the first interview, as I said, it's with Dr. Hannah Allen. We'll pass over to it now. And uh, myself and Amber will come back with some comments afterwards. So I'm talking to Dr. Hannah Allen, uh, one of the co-founders of uh, the Tinto app. Should I just call it, how does it appear in, in, in an app store? Is it just Tinto, Tinto app? How, how would people find it? Yeah, so it's actually Tinto, but um, we are a registered company as Tinto app. Um, 
for some reason I yeah. I just I, I prefer Tinto but yeah go go with what go with what you like <laughs> Tinto so yeah if you're searching T I N T O for anyone yeah. uh, interested um but let's start with what Tinto is do you want to just give an overview Hannah Yes, absolutely. So um, thank, thanks for having me, first of all. This is really exciting. Um, and it's always exciting to be able to talk about um, Tinto, my um, what feels like my third child. Um, so Tinto, um, so we are a, a well-being um, platform for uh, pregnant and postnatal women, um, supporting mothers through um, this seismic um, shift in their entire identity. Um, and um, we connect um, women to personalised support, guidance and, and tools um, to help them um, enjoy and, and thrive in motherhood, essentially. Why the need? And, and I'll ask that because yeah. from observation of friends and family and so on who've gone through this process, there is a lot of support out there from family, from yeah. classes that people can attend. Why do we, why do we need another app? Yeah, great question. And um, I love answering this um, because I normally shock people. So, um, so Dave, I'll ask you to start with what proportion of women after having a baby? And I know that you'll have an insight into this because of your sister. But what proportion of women do you think um, struggle from a biopsychosocial perspective? Um, with regards to what we would, you know, clinically call their morbidity, you know, either physical, psychological symptoms that affect their well-being. What proportion of women do you think that affects? To some degree, I mean, I, I would assume it's something astronomically high. I mean, 90% or something, kind of just from all sorts of different things, from if you're breastfeeding and one child breastfeeds in one way, another child breastfeeds in a different way, and you don't understand why. I'd imagine it's, it might even be higher, right? So it's 94%. So 94% right. of women, uh, and well done for, for, for going high, but most people go a lot lower. Um, 94% of women are suffering with, um, you know, clinically what we would call morbidity. So physical or psychological symptoms that are manifesting themselves in a way that is adversely affecting a woman's well-being or their health, right? Because remember, well-being is just on a spectrum, um, moving from subclinical, you know, symptomatic challenges through to clinical conditions, clinical problems. Um, and, you know, breast pain can very easily end up as mastitis. Pelvic floor leakage can yeah. very easily end up as, as a prolapse, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a problem that is basically affecting almost every single mother in the world, um, and yet there is almost zero research into this area um, to actually help us support these women better. So is this to do with, you know, why, why do people go lower in that number? Is this to do with our assumption that, that motherhood is all about glowing and that earth mother image? And I suppose the, the pressures that we have around us, that everyone has to be a little bit perfect and, and wonderful on this front. Yeah, I think that is a really complex question. I think there are sort of societal expectations and implications and, you know, um, challenges associated with mothering today. Um, I think there are internal um, identity motherhood challenges that are, um, you know, complicating the situation. Um, 
And, you know, and we live in a society where um, everything's accessible, right, to a, to a certain degree. Everything is accessible. Um, and it, it's meaning that, you know, through technology, through forums, through communities, we can connect to anyone and, every, and, and everything. Um, but what, it, what, what is actually what we're seeing is that we have never been so lonely. You know, mothers and fathers have never lived such lonely, isolated lives. Years ago, um, you know, we used to live on the doorsteps of our friends, our neighbours, our, you know, our uh, parents um, and, and our network to support us. Whereas we just don't have that set up anymore, you know. Um, and, and what that's meaning is, well, we know that 42% of parents seek support initially online. You know, that would have never have happened years ago. Um, and it's it's just opening us up to feeling more and more isolated in many ways um, because we don't connect with what we're seeing in front of us. You know, the pressure for a woman to parent a certain way because she's seen a certain, um, you know, influencer on social media, for example, um, then puts that innate pressure upon that mother to that she's not doing it in the right way. You know, um, the disparate views and erroneous advice that you can access on Facebook groups, you know, means that um, people are not accessing kind of this evidence based or validated um, support uh, when they need it in a timely way, which is ultimately, you know, leading us towards this kind of feeling of, you know, entire sort of isolation, but also manifesting themselves in much more complex physical challenges because we're not intervening early enough as well. So to, to, to try and help this, and I suppose to try and help that that loneliness piece, Tinto uses AI to match like-minded mothers. How does that work? How do you profile a mother? How do you know that, first of all, that they are like-minded? Yeah. And that, why, why, does that, why does that help? Could it not just be two people who are going through the same nightmarish scenario that they don't need, know how to deal with? I mean, <laughs> without wanting to sound really, really um, ignorant here, I, I'm just curious to know why that then why that dynamic is then beneficial yeah okay so but it in order to um sort of explain this fully if we take a step back and kind of look at um the product offering so we um so you're correct in that we match we match mothers to each other and to um technology driven guidance and to experts based on their preferences their personality their characteristics etc but at the core of what we do, which is completely different to anything else that's out there currently, is that we provide a woman with a well-being index. So we're able to use evidence-based frameworks, analyzing, you know, hundreds of thousands of women's profiles to come up with a personalized index of where they're at in their journey. And we present it to them in a really kind of user-friendly way um, so that um, we can provide personalized support and guidance to their challenge in that moment. And the reason why that's really important is because if I go back to kind of, you know, my, my GP training, you know, what we were taught, um, which is very true, is that every patient has a, what we call a hidden agenda. You might come in with a symptom of, you know, a toenail problem, but actually you might be worried that that toenail problem is linked to a, you know, liver disorder or whatever. Um, and my job as a GP is to elicit what you're really, truly worried about. And often that's really hard to do. And technology is traditionally really poor at doing that. But by um, by utilizing um, a community-based wellbeing index that elicits quantum qual data out of somebody, 
um, in a very user-friendly way, you're then able to pull together via sort of various different inferences their likely hidden agenda. And by doing that, you're then able to uncover lots of support and help and validation techniques that actually genuinely helps to improve their well-being. Um, so just to give context, I think I think that helps to understand. Um, and then mm-hmm. obviously we use various different kind of artificial intelligence to enable us to build out the inference and to look at sort of personalized recommendations based on their well-being index. But we also match them based on various different kind of characteristics, their personality, their preferences, their life stage. Um, and um, we use uh, qualitative and quantitative data based on their um based on their journey in the app to date so that, you know, perhaps they didn't have a great conversation with somebody, but they did have a, uh, you know, a great conversation with mum. Why? Therefore we know that perhaps they like to be spoken to in a softer way rather than, you know, an alternative way. And the reason why that's really important, Dave, is because um, if you ever speak to perhaps your sister even, but if you speak to a mum as an example, who is breastfeeding um, and she could quote, you know, um, a uh, a baby led, you know, breastfeeding routine um, and follow that versus a mum who's following a strict, you know, four hour um, breastfeeding regime. The two of them will not want to connect typically on common breastfeeding challenges because they'll experience it in a completely different way and they'll want very different advice you know, so so basically your personality and the way that you want to parent will dictate the types of people that you want to connect with. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Something that I want to ask, and I, I need to make sure, <laughs> I'm probably going to ask this in a way that, that highlights just how little I know, but <laughs> you do focus on the BAME community and, and diversity quite heavily in the app. I mean... We're all taught that that race is only millimeters deep, and physiologically, we're all the same underneath. Where it comes to motherhood, yeah, why do we need an app therefore that that focuses on different communities? Is this? I assume this is less of a clinical issue, and more to do with cultural differences, and especially maybe where there's an older generation. I remember a conversation we had a couple of years ago where I think you told me about um, the kind of the the traditional medical approaches and how how they can cause issues in sub-Saharan Africa because yeah. the traditional practices are actually really dangerous and there's a lack of education. Yeah. I I don't know why the app needs that focus. I'd be really yeah. interested to know what it is, what the, what the issues are that you're trying to address. Yeah, really good question. So um, the kind of hard-hitting headline and really important um, headline from uh, a clinical perspective is the fact that, you know, if you're a black woman giving birth in the UK, you're four times more likely to die during childbirth than a white woman is. In the US, that's five times more likely. So, um, you know, and and that's just- Sorry to interrupt, but but, but why? why? I I, I knew you were gonna say that. Um, And and it's very complex. Um, There's, um, and lots of people have been trying to do a lot of work into establishing and understanding exactly why. Um, And um, there are lots of, um, educated ideas and theories, um, including kind of, you know, systemic and institutional racial bias in traditional healthcare and medical practices through to 
Um, you know, socioeconomic challenges. Um, in the US, for example, 30% of women live in maternity deserts, where it means they're more than an hour away from their nearest maternity department. Um, we know that if we can get women to engage in more than sort of four antenatal appointments, then their healthcare outcomes during that pregnancy for her and baby are significantly improved. So there's an engagement piece there. There's an education piece about, you know, um, why do I need to take you know, um, why do I need to take vitamin D and um, my, my supplements throughout pregnancy? What's the role of them? What do they do for me? You know, it's it's a in a in a different way to sort of help understand. You know, some some people will say to me as a clinician, "Why do I need to take blood pressure medication? I feel fine." You know, it, what you can't see or feel um, feels very hard to relate to. So it's getting people to understand and feel informed about the decisions that they're making, the implications of that. So it's very um, complex and there are multiple different sort of facets at play um, from, you know, socioeconomic to health economics to um, institutional um, challenges. Um, and, 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 and in essence, but because of that, it, it's, um, it's a complex beast to try and deal with. But what we're doing is really approaching from the engagement perspective and using sort of, you know, cultural um, socioeconomic uh, changes in the app, um, in the experience on the app, um, in order to be able to cater for different sort of diverse, um, diverse women from different backgrounds um, so that they feel that they can connect to our messaging um, as a company, but also to other mothers who may have experienced similar challenges um, on the app as well. And we're working with, um, you know, the NHS across London um, and working with a large secondary care um, provider in northwest London on um, demonstrating the impact that our platform has, not only on the well-being outcomes by engaging with them and providing better um, informed resource throughout their pregnancy and postnatally, but also the knock-on effect of this, of course, is improving health outcomes, um, which is really, really important and paramount for the next generation. The last question I wanted to ask you then was was a little bit around improving outcomes because there are a lot of different um, health-related app offerings out there, Yeah, um, many of which do um, kind of interconnect with NHS and, and, and help kind of I suppose, I suppose help give a different dimension to, to the way that healthcare services are delivered. It, before we hit record, you mentioned the words, or two, sorry, not word, but two words, subclinical. And that was not something I'd heard before, I'll be perfectly right. honest. As a doctor, what, what do you see the role of an app potentially being, and I know it's there's a wild different kind of, there's an array of different offerings out there, mm. but this seems to be very much in that space between taking your medical knowledge and mm. almost dropping this into a gray space where it's it's not going to the GP or it's not going to the, but it's it's mm. providing information that can help you when you do reach those services yeah I mean yes exactly but I, I feel very strongly that consumers that that we as patients as users as mothers as people you know should own our data right like we should feel empowered by our data it shouldn't just be something that we have a very you know typically we had a paternalistic healthcare system where you would access your gp or your doctor when you had a problem 
but you wouldn't understand that much about it and you wouldn't be able to read your notes or read your data or interpret anything. Um, and it's very hard, if not impossible, to have an eight minute, nine minute, maybe 10 minute consultation with your GP and get all of the information that you need to go away feeling fully informed. So I'm a real deep believer in that we need to put the power back into the patient's hand, the user's hand, the mother's hand. Um, and particularly when it's something as complex as childbirth, you know, in a lot of places in London, Dave, women are literally walking in with a pamphlet and that has all of their medical information about their birth. And the moment you give birth, that goes, it stays in the hospital. You don't even have it at home anymore. So to remind, to, to remember, perhaps you had a traumatic birth or you had, you know, really severe medical complication. I speak to patients and they genuinely can't remember what the name of it was, you know, and unless I've got direct access to that hospital, I won't know either. So, you know, they have mm. to have this information to hand and feel empowered to make the right decisions and the right choices by their data. Um, and I believe that the, the future of healthcare, you know, subclinical is just everything sits in the subclinical space, everything in the community. Everything starts with a symptom or a challenge or a problem at home in your community. Therefore, why are we not monitoring that better, you know? Um, 60% of parents who suffer with postnatal depression don't seek help. They just struggle at home on their own. You know, we never see them in clinical practice. So we have to be refocusing on the subclinical community space where we can practice preventative health and well-being, not just waiting for people to get sick and access clinical help. You know, um, and I believe if we can empower patients, putting the data in their hand, informing them, using, you know, everything and anything all of the kind of data you know that, that we have about patients to empower them along with more of the traditional healthcare practices that's the evolution the beginnings of you know digital phenotyping and I think that is the future of healthcare and well-being it's really really exciting look I think this has been a fascinating chat I really uh, appreciate your time so I hope that um, Tinto continues to grow and there's a community there that can that can help um, many many women Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Right. Okay. I, how, what was your response to a lot? Because there was a lot of stats in this, right? Mm. There a lot was. of numbers. What, what was your kind of gut feeling or, or your response to a lot of those? Well, it's really strange actually, because the other day I was driving and my radio went a bit funny. And so I changed over the channel and I was on BBC Radio 2 and they were actually doing an interview about this and about that um, statistic, uh, you know, around, uh, I think it was women or, or black women more specifically are more, I think it's four times likely to die during childbirth or have complications. Yeah, four times um, more likely to die during childbirth, five times more likely in the US. That's it. And that, that came on and like I said, I was only sort of passing through the channels and I heard that and I was like, my God, that is like just shocking and I, I sort of turned over the channel I was like no I've got to go back and I've got to find out like what the reason is behind that um so that one I was I mean it's still you know obviously really shocking but that one I like I said I had heard but there were so many other things that she were she was bringing up and so much there that you just it seems really ignorant but I just didn't know and I'm sure so many people wouldn't know that and wouldn't know the reasons behind it and I mean you asked the question you just said like why is that it's just it seems like astounded doesn't it really it does in this day and age and i mean unfortunately what yesterday there was the news that cristiano ronaldo lost a child mm. in childbirth um i can only imagine 
how devastating it is, but it's a shock. It's a shock when you hear stuff like that because you just, you assume that it's quite routine and it's obviously not. Yeah, and you think as well, like in the day and age that we live in, we're so advanced in so many ways. And I know, of course, you know, these things still happen. Well, obviously they still happen, but I just, I can't believe that that figure is is actually a thing. I mean, Mm. it just seems you just wouldn't know that it would, that that would be the case and i think what they're doing and the way that this app that they've developed is is not only helping to like eradicate that or or sort of raise awareness of it but it's it's getting that stat more out there like it it, it is it's doing exactly that it's raising awareness and yeah i just i don't know i don't even know how to respond to that like i say when i heard it the other day on the radio i was completely shocked and it's less shocking now but that sounds awful because it shouldn't be because it's still such a huge huge number isn't it mm-hmm. i mean there's a number of stats in here that, that i think are worth kind of going over again the 42 percent of parents seeking support online in a way you kind of go well, that's not surprising because with since the since the advent of the internet we look to online for for support and advice on just about everything but then when you put it in the context of loneliness and actually fewer of us having a support network around us than maybe a generation or two ago, then then it becomes really quite interesting that people are resorting to online because it's it's this it's the only source of of knowledge and info mm-hmm. as opposed to um augmenting what they've what they've got on hand. Yeah. I think that's quite sad as well, isn't it? To think that like you say, because you're lonely, you're going to it as like a for like for comfort and companionship um I think as well so now everyone lives such different lives that people do get pregnant a lot younger or do get pregnant a lot you know later in their life there's no sort of like right or wrong not that there ever has been but there's no sort of right or wrong time to to get pregnant is there really so I've got friends that are younger than me that have had children already. I've got a couple of children. And obviously I can imagine that at that time, if it was just them going through that huge, huge experience by themselves, you would find yourself in a position where you're really lonely because people in the same year group or peer group or whatever aren't experiencing that with you. So how can you go to them and have a conversation? Because they're not on the same wavelength, really. They might agree or disagree with some of the stuff, but actually... They're not feeling the same things. They're not going through this massive change of their body and emotions and everything. So they're not going to completely understand as much as they might try. They, they, they just never would be able to comprehend what you're going through. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Yeah. So I can imagine that people will go to the internet or will try to find some sort of like, yeah, companion online to, to be able to get through that. And it's interesting that um, Hannah talks about... Um, influencers and the pressure placed upon people because of influencers so mm. them putting um inaccurate or sorry them putting innate pressure on other women or other young mothers um because you know the, the feeling that you might be doing it the wrong way mm. um and again it's that that social peer pressure thing but i imagine when it's you know there's one thing it being the gym which is quite accessible. It's another thing when you are, you you have every right to feel terrified because you're suddenly in charge of this little thing and and you don't know what to do. And Christ, I mean, it, 
I know from people who might, you know, my friends who have had kids that there is that thing of, you know, there is no instruction manual. You're just given this baby infant and off you go. Um, so then uh, I think it's probably even more acute and even easier to feel like a failure, which then gets exacerbated by social media. That's not a good thing. Mm. And so many people like will criticise whatever way you go about it as well, won't they? Because I read an article in the paper the other day and it was saying there was a lady who had like a six pack and stuff while she was pregnant, which I mean, I don't know if that's healthy, unhealthy, that's normal. I, I don't really know, to be honest, but she was saying that she'd got so much criticism for still going to the gym and maintaining her exercise. And then, but then on the flip side of that, people would get criticised if they just, if they stopped doing those things. And then obviously, I don't know, like you say. I, I thought that you were advised to go to the gym now and keep that exercise routine up for as long as you possibly can. And I say that at the same time, knowing that when my mum was giving birth to me, I think, after after birth, she was told to drink a pint of stout to up her iron levels. Oh, because really? that was So it just shows you that, advice on on stuff like this can change quite dramatically over mm. time and you can look back and go that, that sounds really strange yeah with hindsight yeah that's really yeah I, like you say you, you don't know if it's like old wives tales or like you just don't know what to kind of like follow do you but yeah. I see, see what she means about like influencers as well because um I think who is it I think I read something in the again the paper the other day and I think it was about Rihanna obviously Rihanna's pregnant at the moment and she's like she obviously I, I didn't know <laughs> but she wore these like dungarees and it was sort of cut right. out in the middle so like her whole like her bump and stuff was obviously coming out and some people were saying like she looks amazing and you know embrace it and she you know it's beautiful it's so natural other people were really critical and saying you know keep your you know cover it up keep it away kind of thing and and again it's just like whatever you do will always get sort of critiqued in some way so you I don't know it's yeah it's a difficult one isn't it that clinical morbidity stat 94 percent section of women who struggle with biosocio um or uh psycho um perception um that that's high right I mean but at the same time it's also probably not high like every young mum probably has something some way that that postnatal maybe they don't have postnatal depression but something like you know sore nipples leading to mastitis or something like that that's it, when you think about it it's it's alarming but it's also probably kind of what you'd expect mm. yeah alarming but i wouldn't have expected to to have been that high right that um, that still shocked you yeah I think I didn't really know. I was pretty similar to you. I would have said around like 85 to 90 perhaps. So I wasn't expecting it to have been 94. 94. But then it's really strange because um, my uh, boss obviously has just had a child um, and he was saying the other day that um, the, 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 his, his little boy's got, um, he's got like tongue-tied. Yeah. Um, which for me, I just thought that was an expression that someone said when you were like tripping no. over your words. Like I didn't actually know that was a thing. Yeah, no, my and, nephew had it and they have to snip your tongue. Yeah, that's right. And he was saying that obviously it causes so much discomfort to the mum when she's breastfeeding. Yeah. And again, even little, you know, small things like that, like there'll be so much pressure there to think, oh, I've got to keep breastfeeding, but obviously it's it's really sore, it's really painful, it's really uncomfortable. But then equally, 
uh, yeah, I, I don't know, just little tiny things. Like all of that can have such a long lasting impact. Mm. Um, and that's only one very sort of small example. But I imagine if there's lots of different factors and pressures and concerns, then it is going to have, yeah, massive like effect overall on your well-being, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's shift focus. We'll, we'll, we'll start talking a little bit about Hector and uh, Savage. Um, because one of the things that Hannah talks about where it comes to Tinto is data personalized index. Um, so, you know, what's the challenge that you face in that moment? And that's very similar to Savage. So Savage, this is the interview that's coming up. We will not say too much because we'd rather that you listen to uh, Hector and hear her story. But this is all about how um, data can be used to help women understand their hormones, understand the moments that they're in and when it when they can um push and when they can exercise that little bit harder versus understanding your body and when we say understanding your body really understanding it and going actually now is now is a time to rest now is a time to maybe have a piece of dark chocolate um and it's very much aimed at the indian market and millennials and i think the millennials piece is quite interesting because it's um well, it's our generation, Amber. Unfortunately for you, I think you're lumped in as the same generation as me. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but millennials who are kind of young professionals, maybe starting families, maybe buying houses, work's busy, social circles are busy, and finding time to have uh, a solution for their health and their well-being that you can actually stick to gets increasingly hard. Ooh, yeah no definitely just finding any sort of like routine isn't it yeah and structure sometimes is very very difficult um one of the things that i do love about this though is when i ask at the end um she talks about the fact that this is very much aimed at the indian market because they suggest nutrition advice and food and therefore it's very much tailored around the indian um the sorry i should say the i i, I was going to say the indian kind of cuisine but that makes me think of takeaways in the uk and of course we're talking to someone in bangalore here so it's not uh the idea of um uh, chicken tikka masala plus exercise uh, <laughs> it's slightly more authentic indian uh cuisine than that would you would you fancy a a, a fitness regime based on indian diets i love indian food so yeah i'm all yeah. for that sounds great well look uh we'll hand over to the interview well, uh, well, you can find out why they're called Savage and uh, what, what difference they're making to women's lives. Um, but Amber, thanks for your time today. I'm glad that you had a good time in Istanbul. And thanks, Dave. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. See you later. So I'm talking to Hector. Hector, you're joining me. Are you, you're in, get this right, you're in Bangalore? That's right. That's right, David. So it's coming up to the middle of the day there. How's, how's your morning gone? Oh, it's been great. I got in my um you know functional training workout i'm just down with my first cup of coffee thankfully trying to ensure i don't overdo it today uh, but yeah i mean it's a nice bright sunny day hopefully there are going to be some greens in bangalore so pretty excited about that i have to say i um i probably do overdo it on the coffee uh i i couldn't wait till nearly the middle of the day for my first coffee but there we go <laughs> look we're talking to you today because you are well, you've got a platform where you're hoping to build the future of women's wellness. And um, 
Well, as anyone knows, uh, my name is David Savage and your company is called Savage. So <laughs> it would be great to know how you came to that name uh, for the business, but also actually what Savage does and how, how you're trying to help women's fitness. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think um, it's quite a coincidence <laughs> that you know, you're David Savage and you're talking to us, we're building Savage. Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, Sa- we, me and my co-founder Akshay, we both started building Savage about a year ago. Um, both of us have combined experiences across building consumer technology products from zero to one and then scaling them to one to ten. Um, But most importantly, both of us have a shared passion for health and fitness. Um, And before we started building Savage, we were working together in another health and fitness company. That's where we kind of build a lot of our thesis, a lot of our insights about how health and fitness is in India. Um, And it, it got us like to understand a lot more about the market, about the population and the diaspora and how they see and look at health and fitness. Um, so it all primarily started after we left working together over there. And one day we just were like just chatting that what's next. And uh, we said we should definitely do something together. But uh, we kind of knew from the beginning it has to be in health and fitness because that's something that we're both personally very passionate about. Um, for me, I think I almost immediately knew that I wanted to do something in women's health. Um, and I think that's primarily stemming from the fact that, um, you know, I have been obsessed with health and fitness since I think I was 11. Um, And that's primarily because I come with a history of obesity in my family. And I think my biggest fear in life was that I'm going to end up being obese and then I'm going to end up having diseases and then I'm probably going to die sooner than everybody else. So... I was just obsessed with health and fitness from the very beginning to a point where I used to overwork out and, you know, overexercise. And that led me to uh, be diagnosed with a condition called amenorrhea, where basically women tend to lose their period due to overactivity, um, which is great as a 13-year-old who doesn't want to deal with periods, but um, it fundamentally has long-lasting effect on women's health and Um, It took me years to understand how that affected my health, both physiologically, mentally, emotionally. And even through my experiences at the previous health and fitness company, I realized that health and fitness for women is fundamentally broken. And everybody thinks that whatever works for a man should ideally just work for a woman. You can just like, you know, temper it down a little bit here and there and um, you know, it should be okay. Um, but my fundamental frustration came from the point that women's bodies are so different from men. Uh, we, you know, um, have a very different hormonal clock. We have a very different physiology. Um, and yet, whatever is out there for us is the same thing that a man does. And I was just always, like, confused that how would, like, you know, pumping so many hours in the gym really will help me or um you know the fact that i would probably work out like five times more than one of my friends a guy friend but i would like struggle to just see muscle formation in my body and and i would look at him he would just work for like say 60 minutes and he'd have like this really amazing biceps which you know i would envy every day so my point was that why what a guy is doing is not working for me and that led us Mm -hmm. 
down this road of building savage where we work a lot on the research and evidence-based practices where we try to understand that how exactly are men and women different and how to create solutions that specifically work for women because like i said right our hormonal clocks are different our physiology is different but for years um there has been little to no research happening uh to build solutions for us that work with our physiology and it's honestly very frustrating right because we're like one half of the population uh we primarily play the role of caretakers in the house um large part of health and fitness or healthcare decisions in most households across the world are made by women um and yet there are no solutions that are just specifically thought through from a women's perspective um and that's where and that's completely you know unacceptable according to me and for years we've all been living under like a rock that hey you know what i can just go and do the same thing that this guy is doing and i'm going to get the same results but it's not true so that's what led us to you know building savage where what we intend to do is that we like you rightly said right we're trying to build the future of wellness for the millennial woman uh we think the millennial woman in india has come out of the ages she shops online she does um you know she spends disproportionate time online large part of her decision making happens through social media and things like that and um you know she is now aware enough to understand that her body is different and she's aware enough to make more decisions for herself so um that's where that's what we're going after just out of interest you, you mentioned millennial there i think i count myself as kind of one of the on the oldest age kind of range of millennial i'm 37 i think it's kind of like 20 kind of people in their early to mid 20s now through to kind of mid to late 30s it's kind of young professionals right that's right um is it is it that market because it's a time like you say it's a time where our bodies are beginning to change maybe our metabolisms are slowing down maybe work's getting more uh maybe it's it's more consuming there's families there's you know maybe people are starting families and have kids finding exercise is tough time is short how how is that you know my that's my kind of mental perception of what happens at this time of life certainly from a british standpoint british perspective and and i know from thinking about my sister for example who's got a young family finding time to exercise for her is quite a challenge is that very similar in india and the role that that women play in the household in kind of culturally from 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 how you see that demographic yeah absolutely i think you nailed it right right like i mean most of the millennial women are typically at a life stage um you know where they either have families or are at the process of having a family and also the fact that there's also the time where they're just starting to begin their careers where their lives are you know about to get more stressful um and it's going to have multiple dimensions multiple changes through their you know general lifespan and it also brings in the whole concept of just the busyness right and the lack of time um and i think that's where large part of our thesis lies that in india especially the adoption of digital health and fitness products will primarily be led by women because as indian women we're like crunched crunched on time every single day um because there's just so much that a woman has to do um especially if she's married right like she has 
far too many social responsibilities within her family and beyond that. Um, but also just things like childcare, um, you know, which is not like really a great infrastructure that's available, especially for working women. Um, or the fact that, you know, um, there's a lot of social stigma still in India about the fact that women, there's just so much guilt tripping where a woman, if she chooses to kind of, you know, go out and do something specifically for her work and like leaving her child behind or not looking at home enough. So there's just the entire social setting and everything put together that for years, women have tend to put themselves on the back burner or their health and wellness on the back burner. And now women are realizing that how that affects their health in the long run. So, you know, they look for more convenient solutions that can seamlessly fit into their lifestyle. Um, and yeah. that's where a digital health and fitness solution works really well for them. I was, I was going to say, how does this, this actually help? Because finding time is, is, is a challenge. And I assume that an app has to be, it has to, it has to create quite a personalized um, structure or, or advice. Um, and it's, and it's straddling. It's not just fitness, is it? It's health as well, which is a broader kind of, maybe not maybe it doesn't err into the clinical but it's a broader church how how does an app actually help an individual woman create something that's sustainable that can help yeah so i think like you already said right when it comes to women's health just working out at the gym doesn't cut it right i mean health in general for anyone just working out at the gym doesn't cut it right you need to eat right you need to work out in the right proportion you need to understand your body and work out as per your body, you need to be able to take care of your mental health and be very mindful about your mental health as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. If you look at the solutions that primarily exist in India, um, they either are fitness gym solutions where you can take a gym subs- gym subscription and just go there. And if you need nutrition, you have to go to another nutritionist. And if you need some mindfulness, you probably need to go to a therapist. Um, the truth is that if there is a notion that a millennial Indian woman can spend like maybe three hours a day doing all of this. I don't think there's a notion that could be any longer because, you know, we just don't have that kind of time. So what we look for is that, can I get access to a solution which can possibly just take like 30 to 40 minutes of my time every day, but give me everything I need in one place. Um, Most women in India don't look for experts for hire, but that's just kind of the notion that large part of India things and solution maker things that, hey, you know what, I'll build a platform where I'll have maybe doctors for hire or fitness trainers for hire. And they basically essentially end up creating a marketplace of experts for hire. But that's just not how we think about solutions, right? We want, When we think about solution, we feel like, is that this one place where I can go where everything I need for my health is given to me? that works for me specifically. And every millennial woman wants to be felt like what she's getting is very personal to her. What she's getting Mm. is right for her and what she's getting is going to work for her. Um, And that essentially can never be fulfilled by creating a business that's experts for hire. That kind of solution can only be created when you create really deeply personalized and systematic solutions that work for a woman and her condition and her life stage that she's going through. So when you create a solution for women, it should essentially be personal to a level where it understands that 
is she a working mother or not or is she a housemaker or what does she really eat on a day to day life what is she what kind of meals does her family eat or how much time in the day does she have for herself and what exactly is the condition that she's going through um and unless and until you keep all these parameters together it's hard to create a solution for a woman because we fundamentally cannot shrug off our cultural responsibilities and household responsibilities we can't say that hey you know what just for the sake of taking care of my health i'm going to ignore these two it just doesn't happen i mean we can all say it whether we want to or we don't want to but it just doesn't happen that way and that's where i think the solution is broken and that's where um what we are trying to build works right because what we essentially do is we create these personalized systematic solutions that include a fitness routine that includes a personalized nutrition plan that includes mindfulness as a part of the entire solution and package it and give it to you in a way that it works for you um unlike saying that hey you know what i have few experts go and talk to them so it's a solution not a constellation of services if i may say so um mm-hmm. and that's what kind of makes us different right and i think that's only possible to create when you kind of you know leverage technology and the power of technology and data that you get from these women uh, whether using smartphones whether using um you know uh, wearable technology or whether you know fundamentally inputting data themselves so is it is it that data that's giving you the insight on things like the effect of hormones and you mentioned kind of uh, you know the, the fact that there are there are certain periods of 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 time where women can exercise more efficiently than others and it's not something that that men really have to think about or contend with so it's not something that it's easy for men certainly to to relate to um is is that data unlocking that understanding because i'm assuming you know it's an app it's not like you can you can take the physiology and measure hormone levels or understand those aspects i suppose it's looking for trends because you're collecting far more data on women working out than 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 has previously been captured right yes that's correct so um a large part of our understanding about women's health comes from obviously because we're so new in the market we've also kind of like taken us some time to research and understand the entire approach but primarily right now a large part of it comes from talking with women getting women to log their symptoms on the app getting women to track their periods you know using our app um telling us what phase of the cycle they are or what day of the cycle that they're in and then using that data to personalize the entire experience but what we foresee as the future of you know women's health is that maybe in the next like i would say a year or two down we'll have enough data points to kind of create smart algorithms and recommendations that might help a woman plan her next day better So right now what we can do is that you know once a woman logs in and if she tells us a symptom we can say maybe personalized for that day but with enough data sets and points we can kind of draw similarities and recommend things for the future as well we can tell you that hey you know what tomorrow is probably going to be your day one and neutral phase and that's when you might be a little more irritable so you know how about we take the workout a notch lower and we focus more on mindfulness today so you know what instead of doing like a crazy cardio workout today why don't you just do a 
yoga workout today and hey you know your cravings might also start to kick in so don't feel guilty about having that a piece of dark chocolate today because you know you've earned it um so just you know removing that stigma around food removing that stigma around taking the day off um you know uh, removing that stigma around uh taking care of yourself uh is something that you know technology um helps us create and you know help women like i said live their best um to their best potential every single day not just at not just for women who are in performance sport or are competing but women just like normal regular women who work have a family have a life and just want to live a happy healthy life i think i think all of us deserve it men and women alike but i just feel like for years and decades the whole thought process about this is that women are just made to feel really guilty about it so i think it's about time you know we come out of those ages and we focus on our well-being every day and not just um as a crazy audacious goal like you know getting a beach body or things like that hmm. yeah absolutely look I, i think it sounds amazing if if i i assume that this is aimed at more than just the indian market or is it or is it a domestic kind of what you know if if someone's listening and they're in africa or asia or south america for that matter would they be able to use savage or or is it something that you're kind of aiming very much at the at the indian market at the minute so to be honest we started off you know kind of focusing only on the indian market and i think the indian market is really really large um and largely unaddressed right i think in the west there are a few solutions that are growing now um and you know there's a lot of money that's being invested in femtech companies across the globe but i think india is um you know young market right now so largely our focus has been india and probably will continue being india for a long time that said sure. even today we don't kind of market to other countries but almost 20 25% of our users are women not from india um and these are women who are paying for the product so um they tend to find the product either through our instagram or our social media handles and things like that and you know they try the product they experience it they like what they get um so yeah i think we we we're, we're, we're pretty bullish on the fact that this product can be a global product eventually of course what we do understand is that when you change a market or when you change a out there demographic or a country um one thing to keep in mind is that it needs a different kind of personalization especially when it comes to food and meals right so food habits are very different across the world so um that's something that we want to be very conscious about when we expand mm-hmm. so that's why we want to at this point of time just focus on india because large number of nutrition based products also in india don't focus on suggesting meals and foods that you know a normal indian household consumes so um for us our focus primarily right now is india but you know we're pretty bullish about this being a global product and having a global use case in the times to come i i'd love a fitness product that suggested that i eat more indian food <laughs> <laughs> you should think to india next like you know we we can take you on a food run <laughs> yeah Sounds good. Uh and if so okay so you mentioned their Instagram what's the handle? Yeah, so on Instagram we are on B Savage that's B E S A V A G E. Yeah. That's us. Good. And one last thing. You didn't you didn't answer this at the top of the interview. Why call it Savage? Oh yeah, sorry I missed that. So, you know, um we actually had a lot of names and 
they, you know, we did a small poll with a lot of women and we got like very cold responses, not too sure what will work, will not work. And um, it's strange, but I was listening to a song called Savage um, and it just struck with me and I just felt like Savage is such a cool world, um, you know, for the millennial woman, right? Uh, it essentially means while it, it has a little bit of an aggressive side to it, but I feel like Savage is the best way to say I'm a queen. And in our eyes, every woman is a queen, right? No matter what life stage she's going through, no matter what condition she's going through, just like, I think being a woman is phenomenal. And I think Savage is the word that kind of, you know, really um, does justice to that phenomenal feeling, that sense of, you know, doing things that um, no one else can do. And that's how Savage stuck. Well, look, I really appreciate your time today. Um, Good luck. I hope it, the app continues to to grow, to gain users, certainly in India, obviously, as you've uh, uh, kind of expressed there. Um, but um, even if, if you're on the other side of the world, uh, hopefully it gives people kind of a bit of hope that there's something out there that, that works for them. Great. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thank you. Thank you.